This episode of Dana Being Dana is brought to you in part by Northwestern Medicine, relentless in the quest for better health care. Hello and welcome to Dana Being Dana. I'm Dana Michelle and I'm thrilled you're with us. My show is about all different aspects of the human connection, things that bring us together and living life intentionally. In the summer of 2022, the Supreme Court handed down a landmark decision holding that the U.S. Constitution does not confer a right to abortion, overruling both Roe v. Wade of 1973 and Planned Parenthood of 1992, giving states full power to regulate any aspect of abortion not preempted by federal law. This decision catapulted women's health and women's rights to the forefront of discussions in medicine, politics, and the internet. Joining me today are four incredible doctors who are also mothers, authors, and entrepreneurs. Ladies, thank you so much for joining me today. Let's jump right in. In what ways has the landscape of women's health been impacted since that Supreme Court decision? You know, it really has had some chilling effects, um, mostly aut autonomy. Um, not only women having their autonomy over, over their bodies, but also as physicians, um, losing our autonomy to manage patients as we feel that we should and not having the opportunity to um, manage patients um, in a way that we have to worry about being sued or, you know, just being deemed for um, things that we would normally do on a regular basis. Yeah. You know, for me, I practice here in the state of Illinois, and, and so here many of our protections are still in place because our state government has really made an effort to really ensure that the laws are, um, are safe for, for women in our state. But every time we get a patient who comes to the emergency room who has something that mimics an abortion, a miscarriage, an ectopic pregnancy, life-threatening conditions for these women, we often all look at each other as a medical team and think about the fact that if we were working in Texas, Missouri, mm -hmm. Tennessee, Alabama, all yeah. these states where these laws are getting more and more implemented, we are really, we, we think every day how lucky we are to yeah. work here and be able to care for women in the best way we can. Yeah. And I think similarly for my patients, as a pelvic floor specialist, it's been a catalyst for them to seek care and to manage the things that they can manage before that ability is taken away from them. So they're encouraged to work on issues that have been bothering them. Mm -hmm. I also think it's more far-reaching than from what it looks like on the surface, which you know is not just about abortion care, it's about um, access to care, it's about choice, um, contraception, and even you know how it might impact fertility care and um, other aspects of you know healthcare that sometimes um, you know you have to kind of do a much more deeper dive in order to know the true impact. Yeah, and I think there's so much more to come, you know, as we continue you know, in this, in this realm and this new world um, of healthcare in that regard. Heart disease is the number one cause of death for women, uh, followed by cancer and, and COVID-19. Are there patterns or signs that you see in patients when uh, we're not taking care of ourselves? Well, I would say that obesity, unfortunately, is an epidemic in our country, and that often is what leads to heart disease. Yeah. I also think that women often um, disregard heart disease as, as a cause or a problem, especially at younger ages. And, you know, because heart disease tends to impact women of older ages, menopausal women. 
Um, and I think that really our patients just need to be more aware. They need to be seeing either their gynecologist or their primary care physicians and really ensuring that they're managing all the risk factors, regular exercise, good nutrition, good weight control, to ensure that they're really taking the best care of themselves they can. Yeah. Yeah, I agree in regards to just having the um, awareness and also um, the intention of actually going to see their primary care doctor. Because a lot of women, you know, come to the OBGYN, have you had your annual physical? Like, what? No, no, I have not. <laughs> so being intentional about also having all of those medical appointments that they need to monitor their blood pressures, which is also the risk factor for, high blood, for heart disease, um, managing their cholesterol and all those types of things in regards to just keeping, staying on top of that, you know, medical appointments. I think one of the first things that I see in patients is fatigue and almost a little bit of burnout. When you're not sleeping well, when you're not prioritizing good, healthy eating choices, I think you're worn out and tired. We're all busy, and if we're not prioritizing our wellness, those things just seem more overwhelming. I think also during the COVID-19 pandemic, women were inundated with working from home, caring for their children, dealing with sick relatives. And what I've seen in my surgical practice is that patients have really delayed their care. We're seeing more anemia. We're seeing more, you know, as you mentioned, Kelly, fatigue mm -hmm. with patients. But they come in and they're actually very, very ill. They should have had surgery a year or two ago. And they're actually putting their own health at risk because they've been so busy caring for everyone else. Yeah, yeah, I think that's so true. According to the CDC, over 40% of women are obese and over 45% suffer from hypertension. What advice do you have for women to prioritize their health? I mean, I think it also starts with um, making patients feel empowered to, you know, connect with their doctor, you know, patients who come to see me, you know, I always kind of check in with them if I notice that um, they may be at risk for developing um, or are in the category of being overweight or obese um, or have risks for heart disease um, and making sure that they have a good support system of physicians, um, not just myself, in terms of having a family doctor or a primary care doctor who can really be more attentive um, to those particular needs. Yeah. Yeah. And encouraging them to have regular follow-up. It's great that they're seeing us as subspecialists and gynecologists, but they also need to follow with their primary care doctor and make sure their blood pressure and thyroid and all those regular things are managed by somebody appropriate to manage those. I think health is one of the main things people often take for granted. Oh, yeah. And so that's why I think the work that you do is so important as well as talking about this topic. Do you find there's correlations between physical health and mental health? Almost oh, definitely. Um, you know, mind, body, spirit. If one, you know, it's all about you know, the integration and the balance of it all. Um, so if your mental health is off, you know, whether it's anxiety, depression, that ultimately affects your physical health and vice versa. If you're physically ill, that weighs on your brain and your, your mental health and, you know, you can get depression and anxiety and all of that. So all of it's connected. Yeah. And there's good data that suggests being physically active and working to achieve those endorphins can improve your mental health, decrease your blood pressure, or decrease anxiety. All of those things are helpful. They're certainly related. The menopausal transition is another opportunity to prioritize you and your health. Dr. Joyelle, you've been an advocate for vaginal health during this change, and you wrote a book called Loving Me, Myself, and Her through perimenopause and beyond. Tell us more. Yes, so Loving Me, Myself, and Her, the her is referring to the vagina. Yes. The vagina. A lot of women are afraid to talk about their vaginas. A lot of women are afraid to look down there, look at the external area. 
and I wanted them to be more aware of it, especially the changes as they approach menopause. The feel of it, right, and then there's dryness, so all the things, so I wanted them to be more aware of it um, as they're going through this change in their lives. I think it's so important to, to put it out there. One of the things that I'm very passionate about is people being comfortable with who they are and living their lives, and um, we're gonna talk about dryness in a minute. Uh, but I love one thing about your book and where you talk about menopause and the process and it not having to be rooted in fear, but instead in self-discovery and self-love. What do you mean by that, self-discovery yeah. and self-love? So yeah, I wanted to change the narrative of menopause. There's so much doom and gloom when it comes to menopause. People think about menopause. So I wanted to change the narrative and not let it, allow it to be rooted in fear, but more so of opportunity for women to really rediscover themselves. There's so many changes mentally and physically that they're going through, and it's this opportunity for them to actually figure out what those changes are, how does it make them feel, and what can they do in this season where they actually can do things that bring them joy again, and um, do things that they, they, that they need um, in this time of their lives. So I wanted them to you know, have them be more just in tune with their bodies and also love on themselves, self-love. Because, yes. you know, when we get to this point of menopause and, you know, as, we, as we're aging, we, our, most of our lives we're taking care of other people, right? So at this point, we really have to take this opportunity to take care of ourselves and really love on ourselves and pour into ourselves as we're going through this next, next phase of our lives. Well, I think all of that is just great. And we're going to keep talking about vaginas and women's health and loving on ourselves when we come right back. Don't go away. I didn't drive 14 hours for just any surgery. I had to have my skull detached from my spine to avoid being paralyzed. I'm Phil, and this is my team at Northwestern Medicine. My nurses, my neurologist, and my neurosurgeon. After feeling unsure about my first hospital, I found Northwestern Medicine. My spine was pushing into my brainstem, and they assembled the team that put my mind at ease. Home to one of the top neurosurgery programs in the nation, Phil's team at Northwestern Medicine took on his rare condition. During surgery, the top of Phil's spine was removed to decompress the brainstem. His team then rebuilt his spine. This innovative procedure put him back on his feet in days instead of weeks. My team didn't just give me back my life, they gave my girls back their dad. Northwestern Medicine, what makes us better makes you better. We all have a story to share, stories others can relate to, whether moments of sorrow or of hope and inspiration, whether a story of struggle or a moment of victory. Every little moment captured and shared helps us to feel more informed, helps us to feel more engaged with and connected to the community we all call home. Every little moment captured and shared adds up to something greater for us that something is the collective story of Naperville, a city rich in its volunteer spirit, its diversity, its traditions and celebrations, and so much more. In Naperville, there are so many stories worth sharing. And for the past 35 years, it's been our honor to tell those stories and share them with you. Welcome back to Dana Being Dana, where we are talking all about women's health. We mentioned the topic of dryness uh, in the last segment, 
Dr. Linda, you and your colleagues developed an amazing product to address dryness, which is a common symptom that many women suffer from. Tell us about it and where it came from. I would love to. The backstory behind how we developed Vejuvenate is that my girlfriends and I, who also happen to be board certified gynecologists, were on a girls trip and we started talking about, you know, work related topics, patient care, and actually, you know, started the conversation about how so many patients we take care of um, have symptoms of dryness and irritation um, of their vulvar area. And yet we didn't really have a great method of um, helping them with their symptoms. So it was kind of a brainstorming session about different products that were primarily meant to be all natural and um, easy to use. And so this is how we created Vejuvenate, which is um, used as a moisturizer to help alleviate some of those common symptoms that a lot of women have. And I love the fact that it is a symptom that is very common, but also so commonly easy to address. Um, with Rejuvenate. So I think it's great. And I think your team um, and all of you um, are fantastic. And it's just so easy. So I think it's um, congratulations to you on that and just kind of the genius of, of doing that and putting that together. I want to switch a little bit, uh, a little bit earlier in the development of women. When girls are getting their period, when they're on the verge of getting their period, they have the talk with their moms or someone they trust. Um, Dr. Kelly, you believe that we should continue the conversation as our bodies are forever changing and that we don't talk about it enough. Tell us more. Well, in the fifth grade, more or less, when we were all on the verge of our reproductive years, we sat down and they told us what was going to happen to prepare us so we could know what to expect and um, be ready. And then as we move through our reproductive life and end our re exit the reproductive years, I like to say, we have no idea what's coming. And as you were saying earlier, menopause seems scary and everyone talks a lot of doom and gloom about it. And I think we need to come up with an appropriate way to, to talk about what's coming as we exit our reproductive years in order to make us aware of the changes, help us ride the waves that come with those things, manage symptoms like dryness and, and those other issues that can come up so that we're armed and ready to take on the next season of our life. The point about your body changing. You know, for me, for example, my body changed the most postpartum after having babies. Mm -hmm. And there's really nothing out there, you know, for that when it comes to the way your body changes. Mm -hmm. um, you specialize in, in women um, having issues with the pelvic floor, mm -hmm. for example, which is impacted, you know, by childbirth. Right, absolutely. Uh, what, what advice do you have or what do you say to that um, in terms of managing and navigating those changes? Because it's after you get your period, but before menopause, um, and I think that's a place where we really don't talk about the changes that you can expect enough. So I think it's, as a gynecologist, I'm clearly very comfortable talking about my vagina and my pelvic floor. But the first thing, um, recommendation for patients and friends and otherwise is that if there are problems, they need to bring it up to someone. They need to talk about it with someone. If you know, I tell patients all the time, life is short, you have to live it. If you're unable to do what you want to do because of pelvic floor issues or otherwise, you need to have a discussion with a medical professional about it in order to address it. So you got to bring it up. you got to like, talk about it. Like bladder control? Right. Yeah. Bladder control, prolapse, bulging. I think the body changes after pregnancy. I don't think it all has to be negative. I think we have to learn to accept our new normal, if you will, and learn to be the people and women that we want to be with that sort of under our belt, sort of after we've had our children. I want women to be more empowered to be advocates for themselves and you all help them so wonderfully navigate that space. 
uh, we've said earlier that you know you're your best advocate during the transition um, of menopause and other aspects of your reproductive health life, um, and that people have options. What types of options you know do you advise your patients that people may not necessarily know about or think about or consider most often? Well, when it comes to menopause, you know, a lot of women, um, they think that as far as options for even menopausal symptoms, it's either hormone replacement therapy or nothing. And that's it. And there's so much more out there, whether it's supplements, um, you know, creams, like all types of natural things that's also out there that are options, as well as knowing that even just lifestyle changes actually helps with menopausal symptoms and going through that change. So just being aware of those things, I think it's just helpful for women to know because they're just, you know, out here struggling, right. not knowing, you know, the other things that they can be doing besides just hormones if they, if they don't want to take hormones, right. so. I think to add to that, you know, when we think about menopause, people don't quite know when that starts, right? Mm -hmm. Like they say, I'm starting to have hot flashes, I'm noticing some dryness, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling different, I'm fatigued and they don't understand what's going on. And what really people don't necessarily talk about with their girlfriends, they might mention hot flashes, but they don't talk about their periods. They don't talk about their cycles changing, getting heavier, getting lighter, getting more irregular, or getting to the point that they can't leave their house because they're bleeding so much. Mm -hmm. And these are all things that happen in this perimenopausal transition. It can start as late as your early 30s. And I don't think that enough women, after they have their children, really think about it or mm -hmm. talk about it mm -hmm. and don't realize how common it is, how many of their friends are probably experiencing the same things they are. So until you start talking about it, whether it's with your girlfriends, all, definitely with your medical professionals, mm -hmm. I think that's how we can really begin to address and really help women improve their lives. With pelvic floor disorders, one in three women has incontinence or prolapse. One in three. And everyone assumes that management is surgery and nobody wants surgery and I get it. The working with one-on-one -on -one with the pelvic floor physical therapist is a very effective way to manage incontinence and bulging and prolapse and women aren't aware of it. In fact, I, I love when my patients look at me sideways when I recommend they see a physical therapist for those kinds of things. And then they come back to me months later thrilled because the physical therapist has taught her how to better pick up her baby or how she should be working on uh, core work or jumping jacks and, and those things, trying to still stay active with conservative options. I think we're at such a good time to be focused on women's health. And I don't want it to all just be political or um, concerning. Um, I want it to be an opportunity for women to become their best advocate and to be more focused. It's a time for us to really focus on our health. Um, you all have been practicing you know, now for a while which I think is great. How has the focus on women's health evolved over time? And where do you think we're headed? Um, again, in the menopause space, it's, I am being blown away with, there's so many more, there's so many more companies out there like targeting midlife women now, which has been amazing. I'm seeing commercials about menopause, um, uh, you know, medications or treatments, which is awesome. Um, so I think it's been great um, in regards to just um, letting women know like menopause is not the end. It's actually, it can be the beginning, yeah. right? Um, so having opportunities, knowing your options, um, knowing that you, you know, have a whole another life to live after menopause. So you have options out there that you can actually, you know, use and, you know, make, make it your best life. 
with your re rejuvenate. Yeah. <laughs> My year in med school was one of the first years that there were more female med students than there were male med students. So I, I think in the era that we're um, coming up in, we're seeing more women doing lots of different things, which I think is really exciting. And it's encouraging for our children, for our daughters. I think it's not uncommon in the operating room that the anesthesia team, all the nursing team, that were all women. And I've had pa patients in their 70s and 80s really compliment, very excited that the room is full of women. And honestly, for me, I, it isn't so much out of the realm of normal for me to have be surrounded by women like that. So I think it's a, an exciting time for women's health. I think we're all um, working together to be better. One of the big things that really I hope to see even more of a shift, you know, we have women out there talking about postpartum depression, for example. We don't necessarily talk about sort of some of the mental and physical changes of menopause, right? And so a lot of women will describe, I'm so depressed, I'm going through menopause. This means I can't have a child again. We should be talking about that. We should be allowing women to really get in there and, and, and dig deep and reflect on themselves about what menopause means for their own mental well-being. Really, all these changes can impact their mental well-being. The ability to not have a child anymore, the stopping of menstruation, though for some women is so such a relief, right. for many other women is such a big change in their lives, and that really, really does impact their mental, uh, their mental health. Particularly the point about having the options and just kind of knowing all the things that are out there. Mm -hmm. um, knowing that what's available to you, knowing what you have access to, uh, it makes it easier, you know, to conquer the unknown when you feel like you're prepared and you're, you're armed. One thing I'm proud of with you all is um, just your careers, your, your bios, your resumes are fantastic. What are you most proud of when it comes to your career and the differences that you are making in women's health? I guess I can start. I think that, you know, after med school, going through all my training, you know, I knew I wanted to be an OBGYN and I decided to, you know, focus on gynecology. I think what I didn't imagine was being a leader, a role model for med students, um, for residents and trainees, but also being, you know, proud of being a physician mom or a doctor mom. I think that's probably what I'm proudest of, I think, looking back. So, you know, every day, you know, we have to juggle all these things, but I think, um, what I love is, you know, my daughters seeing me as a um, as a physician and being able to really integrate the two. It's not about balancing. I don't think it's really about merging everything together. Agreed. Absolutely. I think I'm most proud of me being right here as genuine as possible. You know, I we all worked hard. We set our goals. I accomplished my goals, but I also accomplished all the things I wanted to accomplish without having to compromise significantly. So I'm, I'm proud of the fact that uh, I'm, I'm here doing what I want to do, making the world better in my little way. Um, and I think it's great. I am most proud of, um, as a perimenopausal woman, uh, navigating through this transition, being myself and being authentic, and also entering entrepreneurship as a physician, which was scary for me. Um, so being able to enter this new, uh, you know, uh, new transition and actually help other women navigate through the menopausal transition and build their own businesses and live, the, live their best lives. Um, and it's been amazing. And just making that impact um, outside of, you know, the office has been just been amazing. I love how you're navigating change in career um, and you counsel women. You're an expert in helping women navigate change in their bodies. 
Dr. Angela, you are a boy mom. <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, what, what you're proud of and just also some of the integration of, of being a boy mom and an OBGYN? Well, you know, as an OBGYN, one of the things that I found most rewarding in medical school in my training was caring for women. Yeah. I am the youngest of three sisters and I am like a girl person all the way, <laughs> women's yeah. health and you know, and really having three boys has really not, not altered my perspective on that. My boys are little feminists, right? And we have to teach them early sort of what all this means, what this transition is. How are they going to be a good partner? How are they going to learn about, you know, um, about women and what that means? And I'm really proud of what they've learned. You know, they tell, they tell their friends, yeah, my mom's a gynecologist and they can say it without giggling, which I think is pretty impressive, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, and they know what that means. They know what a gynecologist does because we talk about the vagina at yeah. home. I love it. I love it. I think it's great. Um, have your kids said anything to you about, about your profession and, and them being proud of the work and stuff that you do? I think it's amazing that you all are amazing moms. Um, wives and and the work that you do so my kids don't talk about it much but they know what I do yeah. and I'm very proud that they know what their parts are called and they use the proper terminology so my daughter will correct you if someone mistakenly calls it something that is not supposed inaccurate. to be inaccurate yeah <laughs> that's great there's so many women um, who look up to you in the medical field who are up and coming who would be watching now, which is great. What advice do you have for these young women who are gonna become our future doctors? My advice would be show up for yourself so you can show up for other people. Um, just as my journey through med school, residency, um, I wish I um, was more intentional about pouring into me so I can, so I wouldn't burn out <laughs> and you know be able to pour into others. So really, um, I want future physicians, you know, especially women, because we so, you know, we're, we're, we get caught up in life and just yeah. take care of everybody else except for ourselves. So I want um, young women um, to be more intentional about really pouring into themselves before they, you know, serve other people. You know, medicine is not the easy road, right? Mm -hmm. It is the long road. It mm -hmm. is long and somewhat treacherous, to be honest. But the meaning that you get when you care for patients, when you can really make a difference in people's lives, is so, so rewarding. I'm not certain what other jobs are out there that gives you that same reward. But you also take it home and you also have to remember it can impact you every day. And just as Joyelle said, finding those boundaries, finding ways to make sure that you're caring for yourself as you care for so many other people around you is what's the hardest part, I think, about medicine. The advice I think I would give my younger self, I think, is just knowing what um, inspires you and what your values are and really thinking about that because it doesn't matter what kind of doctor you are, or what specialty you choose, but you know, along your career, then you can identify with um, things that excite you, um, that you remain passionate about, passionate about, and those are the things I think that will fuel your success. It's important to establish your priorities and to make decisions according to your priorities. I think then you're living into your values and I think it's really useful. I think another thing I say all the time is you can't pour from an empty cup. Mm -hmm. And I think all of us are busy doing a lot of different things, but if we weren't deliberate about self-care and about adequate sleep and good nutrition and activity and exercise, we couldn't be the strong advocates that we are for other women. So I think that's really important. 
to yes. recognize. Yes. Prioritize yourself, ladies. If you get nothing else from this episode, I hope that you prioritize your health and talk to the young ladies in your life about doing the same. It's one of the main things we as women take for granted until it's too late. Thank you to my guests for joining me today, and more importantly, for the work that you do for other women in healthcare. Special thanks to Northwestern Medicine for the work you do in our community and to promote self-care. Hopefully you have been entertained, if not encouraged or inspired. I do not promise to be an expert, nor do I have all the answers. I'm just Dana being Dana. See you next time. This episode of Dana Being Dana is brought to you in part by Northwestern Medicine, relentless in the quest for better health care.